Hello, and thanks for listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence. This podcast is a venue for sharing topics in the field of yoga therapy today. Whether you're a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, healthcare provider, or individual with curiosity, this is the place to learn about the latest ideas, personal healing stories, research, and work that is cutting edge and making a difference. While you're here, expect to expand your knowledge on the emerging field that is yoga therapy. In today's episode, I spoke with Karen Beginsky. Karen is a yoga teacher, a yoga therapist, and the founder of Being Enough, a transformational program for gaining freedom from the negative inner critic and embodying deep rest and self-acceptance. Her YouTube channel has more than 1 million views and gives people from around the world permission to slow down, do less, and heal. Karen just published her first book entitled Restorative Yoga, Relax, Restore, Re-Energize. It's a pleasure to speak with you today, Karen. Thanks, Michelle. This is a bit surreal for me because I listen to this podcast and I've heard so many of my yoga therapy teachers sharing their wisdom, and I'm just delighted to be here and share mine. Well, Karen, you're such an amazing person, and I've known you for the past few years as a student in our yoga therapy training program, and yet I had no idea the scope of all that you do, and I'm sure I still don't. Can we start with having you share more about being enough? What is it exactly? Why did you start this program? Who does it help? And perhaps in sharing more about being enough, it's appropriate for you to also tell us more about your story that led up to these offerings that you bring to the world. Yeah, I've been in the yoga practice for more than a decade now, teaching since 2009. But it was only in the past several years where I feel like I've had a specialization or a calling to help a specific population. So I help highly sensitive and high-achieving women to release the negative inner critic, that inner judge that tells us we're not doing enough, we're not good enough. And in releasing that, welcoming more self-acceptance and deep rest, because the opposite of not doing enough is doing less. And so Being Enough is my 10-week transformational online program that guides women through this process. It's a personal journey and it's a collective journey. So I'm showing up in the work alongside them every week through virtual sessions while they're doing their individual modules. In the program, I offer yoga therapy practices, meditations, self-inquiry through reflective writing is another tool that I use. Basically, all the practices that helped me make the same transformation, which was to finally come to a point in my life where I could accept and fully love myself, mistakes, flaws, and all, and take the pressure off of me of trying to be superwoman all the time. So I launched the program in 2018, but the year prior, I got the opportunity to attend a spiritual and a personal transformational retreat called Path of Love. And at this retreat, over just a week, I had burned through a big sense of perfectionism and self-judgment that had really kept me from showing up and putting my work as a yoga teacher out into the world. For years, I always felt like when I was teaching in class, there was a voice in the back of my head saying, you didn't say that right. You messed up left and right. <laughs> Nobody cares. 
who are you to even teach this? I was critical of myself from my appearance right down to even some of the yoga videos that I put out online out on my YouTube channel. And that retreat was a turning point for me. I left it feeling really connected with my essence. And in yoga, we know this as the big self, the untouched observer, our connection to divinity, instead of just the identification with all of these little inner judgmental critical thoughts. So it really took a year from that retreat to integrate those lessons that I had learned there. And I came to understand a lot more about what it takes to create sustainable long-term change. Because it's easy to go on a vacation, take yourself out of your life, and transform, but it's harder to continue that work when you live in the world and you have obligations and bills to pay. And so this was also coincidentally when I started the Inner Peace Yoga Therapy Program. And around this time, this is when I created Being Enough. So the women who have graduated from that program are very much like me, like attracts like, right? So they're creatives. They're artists. Actually, I'm not an artist, but they're more creative. I'm a writer. They're healthcare workers, yoga teachers, change makers in their jobs. They all are called to finding more peace of mind in their lives so that they can continue to do good work in the world and to show up. And being in service to that, seeing other people come alive and rise above their trauma and their struggles is one of the most meaningful things that I've ever been able to witness in my life. And it's why I love what I do in this program. What a great story. And I love the name of it too, Being Enough. And really so much of what you said really resonates to me too. And I feel grateful, right, to have been through challenges, but also to recognize that I am enough. And I'm so proud of you and the work that you're doing, helping so many others recognize that too. So part of what you do, and we'll talk more about the specifics, but you work with women and in the work that you do in your book, on your YouTube channel, about the importance of doing nothing versus the societal narrative of productivity and perfectionism, right? So tell us, like, what are the benefits of doing nothing, particularly for younger generations who may not be in this mindset? Well, I've spent a lot of time in my life chasing after what comes next and trying to do well in everything I did. Maybe it was just my own genetic makeup, who I came to be through my family and what my surroundings, but I really felt the pressure of society growing up, the narrative to get a good job, to make a lot of money, to have a lot of stuff. And slowly as I ticked off the boxes, I found myself still not satisfied, like many of us do when we keep chasing something that's outside of us. And now that I've been doing education and attending anti-racism workshops and doing that work, I've learned that productivity and perfectionism are actually attributes of a white supremacist society. So through this new lens that I have, it feels more important than ever given the racial and the social justice movement that's happening in the United States and around the world, to take time to do less, to slow down and heal so that you can continue to show up meaningfully in your life and in your truth. So you don't burn out by trying to take action over and over, 
without re-energizing yourself. So the benefit really of doing nothing is just that, is finding that perfect circle of rest. It's, it's in the title of the book, Relax, Restore, Re-Energize. Because what makes restorative yoga unique is that the practice isn't about achievement. It's not about stretching. It's not about flexibility. It's about establishing being. And in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, in chapter 2, verse 1, there are three clear steps that are given to establish being. And the first is to embrace self-reflection. And these are in my own words as a translation. The second is to make a commitment to be consistent. And the third is to let go of expectations, which really comes from surrendering your plan. So we love to distract ourselves, hence having a difficult time embracing self-reflection. Developing a consistent routine is hard, especially now during the pandemic. And in terms of letting go of expectations, I mean, it's natural for us as humans to want to try to control and manage things and others. And that's the essence of having power over something. We rarely make space to just be in our lives. And our brain actually thrives when given the chance to slow down. So in fact, when I was researching the book, I learned that silence has been found to be more relaxing to the brain than even relaxing music. So the practice of restorative yoga is not just lying down and taking a nap, because I've totally been told that from other people who are from the outside looking in. They think like, what are you even doing here? In fact, I think it's really a courageous step into your inner world. It's the inner world that you may have been distracting yourself from with substances like food or Netflix or games or the ways in which we try to override our thoughts and our emotions with things like positive vibes only. When you're in a restorative yoga pose and you're cozy and you have your eyes closed and it's silent, all you have to focus on is your breath, thoughts and feelings. You can't busy yourself away from your own experience forever. At some point, we all need to meet ourselves where we're at so we can move forward with intention and purpose. And that is something that I've really received from my yoga therapy training, the idea of meeting others where they're at and in turn meeting yourself where you're at. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it just makes me so happy to see how you have taken that teaching, <laughs> right? And made it so meaningful to you and others. So I'm thrilled to hear that. And it was very beautifully explained. So let's also talk about your YouTube channel. You've got 1 million viewers or something like that. It's amazing. I didn't even know you had a YouTube channel. So when and why did you start it? And what can our <laughs> listeners here find there? And I'll put the link and stuff like that in the show notes here so folks can access it. Yeah. I mean, it surprised me too to see that over time, over the six years that I've had this channel, 1 million views. So I don't have that many subscribers, but it, it wasn't really until two years ago that I began uploading more regularly. So I had put videos out into the internet because of two things. The first thing was at the time, six years ago, I felt like how I was teaching in a studio or a fitness center or a rec studio was modified by that environment or how the owner wanted me to show up and teach. And it didn't always feel authentic to what I wanted to bring to the table. And I was also discovering myself as a teacher. 
and rediscover myself all the time as I teach. So things like pranayama and meditation and going slower in the practice rather than making it fast with a lot of physicality, I've always been a slower teacher, I suppose. I've always found more benefit in mindfully placing body parts instead of flying through a vinyasa, for example. So I wanted to put that out there. I wanted to have my own voice. And I wanted to provide a free resource to those who may not have access to the yoga practice. YouTube is like the democracy of video, right? Anybody can put anything up there and be welcome. Well, nearly anything up there and be welcome. And so it's really just um, a space where you can have free reign to share what yoga really is. In my opinion, that's what I wanted to use it for. So I have restorative practices up there, morning yoga and meditations, ritualizing around the yoga practice, evening yoga as well, guided meditations and breathing techniques was another big one. I've also had as a surprise of just putting these things out there, I've made a lot of special relationships and I've had clients with, from people around the world who have found me because of these videos. And that to me was so unexpected because sometimes when you're teaching in a virtual space, you have no idea who's watching, if anybody is watching, if anybody cares. So when anyone comments back to me or reaches out to me, I always comment back and let them know that it's such an honor that they chose to practice with me. Hmm, that's so neat. I can't wait to check it out. Maybe I'll be joining you for practice tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> I have a whole series on uh, the 12-day restorative yoga at-home challenge. That's a pose a day. So might want to check that out. Yeah, I will. So let's talk about your book next. You've talked about restorative yoga a little bit when we were talking about doing nothing, right? And you've got a book out and congratulations. It came out earlier this year, I believe. And it's entitled Restorative Yoga, Relax, Restore, Re-Energize. And it was published by Penguin Random House. And it's a beautiful piece of work. I thank you for offering it to the world. And the book itself is highly practical. So it, for me, the way it landed, it's a how-to manual with information. It's very approachable, right? On choosing and using props, instruction on specific breathing techniques, really even an introduction around what restorative yoga is. There's various categories of restorative poses in there. Excellent instruction, beautiful photos, how to get into the poses, receive the benefits. And you also provide uh, various sequences aligned with different topics like awakening vitalities, one, recovering from exhaustion and fatigue, another, soothing headaches, and even relaxation during pregnancy. And there's more too. So can you tell us, first of all, what is restorative yoga and what do you hope the reader gets out of the book? I'm really glad you asked because I've seen the term restorative yoga used in videos or in in-person classes where the practice actually isn't that. Is it a restorative practice? Yeah. But there's a difference when it comes to, in quotes, restorative yoga as a style. So the practice uses props to situate the body in comfortable yoga poses so that all muscular effort and tension may relax. And it's through that physical letting go that the body can shift in the, into the parasympathetic nervous system response, the rest and digest response, which then leads to a whole host of healing benefits. 
So relief from chronic stress, soothing persistent pain, headaches, improving headaches, improving sleep, building emotional resilience, helping with women's health issues, right? Like the list goes on and on in terms of supporting overall mental and physical well-being because of the deep relaxation state that's achieved when you let your body do nothing. So the practice really evolved from BKS Iyengar's use of props to support his students' bodies in different poses. And there are four key principles that make it different from other movement yoga styles. And these include being still, in darkness, with quiet, and keeping the body warm. So I hope that what the reader takes out of this book, no matter if they're new to the practice or they're a yoga therapist or a yoga teacher, that they feel welcome. They feel at home on their mat with permission to be exactly as they are in every pose. They learn how to follow their own intuition and feel deeply held and at peace. I did a photo shoot in the book for the book with some of my students. So my students are in the book. They all have different bodies, ages, are of different races, different life stories. So that's another thing that I think is unique about this book is being very highly visual and step-by-step. -step. And the sequence portion, having so many sequences that you can just flip to, my hope is that a reader can flip to a page or find a quality or a feeling they'd like to embody or something they'd like to release and have the space held for them. And all they need to do is gather their props and begin. I also explain in the book a few simple ways to calm the mind, like through progressive muscle relaxation or mindful yawning. And I include breathing practices along with some of the poses. So it's not just do absolutely nothing, it's do nothing mindfully. I've actually had restorative yoga teachers say that they create their sequences while flipping through the book. And that makes me really happy because I can't tell you how many yoga books I've used for inspiration over the years. And it feels like an honor that someone else is able to use this in the creation of their classes. That's so cool. So can you also tell us what was your main inspiration for writing the book? Yeah, I think of my dad first. He's a retired engineer. And he has often said to me that the most successful people in life are the best stuff placers. <laughs> and restorative yoga is really about placing stuff, really tangible stuff, props, your body, and really intangible stuff like thoughts and emotions. And you place all of these things into a space without distraction so that you can come to a more clear understanding of what it is you are holding and then what it is you're willing to let go of. So I went to college for journalism, actually, before I got into yoga. I didn't even know about yoga until after college. And I had a career as a journalist. So I've spent a lot of time placing words intentionally and taking really complex topics, hearing lots of perspectives, and synthesizing them, showcasing them in a simple and easy-to-follow way. And I think that's the essence of me in this book. But my inspiration was definitely all of my teachers throughout my life, especially my yoga therapy teachers and mentors in inner peace. Because when I was deciding what went into the book, 
one of the main things I knew I wanted to include was the Panchakosha model. So a consideration of the whole person showing up for the practice. So there's a page dedicated to the koshas in this book and how to look through that lens as you practice. And also those who are familiar with the teachers in inner peace yoga therapy will note that the perspectives on chronic pain are from Neil Pearson, anatomy and physiology training with Maria Shamas and her functional yoga therapy to trauma-informed language, and life force yoga was an influence for me with Rose Cress and Amy Weintraub. And when I was writing it, I was also at the level two training with Indu Aurora and her Ayurveda knowledge, as well as Chinamasta Styles Ayurveda knowledge, also informed how I approach the sequences and the breathing techniques that I offer in the book. And I mean, to all of the teachers that I haven't mentioned here, as well as my own restorative yoga training with Christine Whittle, I just offer a depth of gratitude that they all exist in this book through me. And it's funny because so much work went into the creation of this book, and the whole thing is actually about rest. So that irony is not lost on me. <laughs> That's beautiful, Karen. And it's so obvious how much work went into it. And you know, what I came away with is that you made it easy for us, right? So yes, you put a lot of work into it, but for us, the reader to take it on, it just, it gave a sense of ease to the ability to just kind of step in and do it. And it really came across that way for me. So thank you for doing that work for us. Yeah. I love that because sometimes this practice can seem so not easy because people look at how many props are used and they get intimidated. And I love that it comes across as doable. Yep, it definitely does. So finally, and as you know, because you've listened to the podcast, I like to ask this question to each of the guests. As you know, in our training programs at Inner Peace Yoga Therapy, we teach our students who are studying to become yoga therapists that one of the key pillars of doing the work of a yoga therapist is to first have your own steady daily sadhana or spiritual practice. And you referred to that too when you were talking about the yoga sutras earlier. And this sets the foundation and comes before holding space and doing any work with others. So I'm curious, can you tell us what your daily sadhana looks like? I imagine it includes some rest. It does. You know, and I have to be honest that I have had a tough time this year. In addition to pandemic and moving through that grief, I lost my little dog, my bestie of 13 years, who was like my soulmate dog. And I've found that my practice has become more soft and more fluid and more in tune with how I'm feeling and how the gunas are showing up that day. One constant thing for me has been a daily inversion. So mostly legs up the wall, sometimes with the bolster, sometimes without. And in addition to other breathing practices I might be doing, like bee breath or alternate nostril breathing, as well as other poses, I've started to embrace karma yoga more. Because I noticed when I was starting to fall into old habits of depression this past year, something that I haven't touched into in years, because the whole reason why I got into yoga was because I was depressed. And I came out of this practice. I came out of depression because of this practice. So when it started to come back in this year, I felt like I needed to do something different than just the things that I knew could help shift my mood temporarily. 
So I actually signed up for this program from a writer, and her name is Alexandra Franzen. And she's an author as well. And she had a program called Ask and Receive. And every day for 10 days, it was, the prompt was to ask for something you want or you need and also do an act of generosity. She was inspired to create this program through a book called Life as a Daymaker, which is a really quick read. And the premise is about how can you make someone's day every day intentionally be a little bit better. And so I started to do this. I did this 10-day program with her where every day I made an ask, every day I did a little tiny act of generosity. Sometimes, you know, it can be easy as easy as sending a postcard to a friend you haven't seen in a while and telling them five reasons why they're amazing. But I'll tell you my favorite story from the experience and how this kind of ties back into karma yoga, showing up and doing something, not because you have a motive for the results or an expectation for the results, but just to be of service. So the other day I was in my kitchen making vegan donuts because quarantine and outside my window on the street, I noticed a woman standing by her car and a locksmith trying to break into her car. So clearly she locked herself out or maybe she forgot her keys and her friend was there with her. And I watched them. I was, I was going through the process of making this dessert and it was taking a long time and they looked really dejected. And my first batch of donuts came out and they were still out there. They still hadn't gotten to her car. And I thought, because I had already primed myself to give every day for 10 days in a row, I had this thought of like, go give them vegan donuts. So I did. I put on my mask. I got two of these donuts and I just went across the street and I said, it looks like you're having a bad evening. I wondered if you wanted this. And they were floored. Like just the look on their face and being able to show up for somebody with no expectation of anything in return, I'll probably never see them again. It just fed me. It fed me with purpose and meaning in a time when I think it's really important to find that joy in our lives. So that is my commitment. My ongoing sadhana is to give generously every day. That's awesome. Well, it was so great to talk with you today, Karen. I will continue to follow what you do here. I know there's more in store from you. Again, congratulations on your book, and I'll be taking it easy thanks to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember to take it easy more often, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. What's your website? What's the best way to find you? It's just my name, KarenBeginski.com. Uh, C-A-R-E-N, baginski.com. And I'll include the link on the page here for the podcast. This has been a production of Inner Peace Yoga Therapy. To learn more about us, visit innerpeaceyogatherapy.com. And by the way, the music that you're hearing today is from the John Stickley Trio.